0: Well, hello and welcome to Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm hoping that you had a Merry Christmas and you were able to still celebrate the birth of Jesus even if maybe things this year were a little bit or maybe even a lot different. As we wrap up our At Home for Christmas series today, I know it might kind of feel like Christmas is now over and and maybe you're even somebody that's like my mom who starts putting the decorations away even before all the presents are unwrapped But in any case, please remember that Christmas is, in fact, not over. It's never over, actually. God coming to us and for us in the person of Jesus, our Savior, is is something that deserves to be celebrated every single day, Not, not just reserved for one day of the year. But now, speaking of Christmas decorations, I know I haven't mentioned him in a while, but we have this little dog named Otto, who uh, just had his first birthday this last week. And Otto loves Christmas, We've, we found out, because he loves to eat Christmas decorations. Uh, even more so than he loves to eat regular decorations, Christmas decorations are his favorite. And so far throughout this season, he's managed to help himself to several ornaments off the tree. Believe me, there's glitter everywhere. He's also taken uh, a nutcracker or two for a tour around the house. But his crowning achievement, the thing he's most proud of, is swiping at least a couple of the wise men from the nativity scene. Now, that move requires an actual foot race and some, even some advanced trickery, because these figures have been given to our boys by my parents over the last several years, so they're very special, and we don't really want them destroyed. And so, Otto likes to take these and he likes to run around. And of course, I'm dumb enough to chase him. And so the last time I had to chase him down, I pinned him down and I was, I was fishing my finger in his mouth, trying to get the figure out of his mouth. And it suddenly hit me. I don't know why I didn't think about this before. Suddenly, it hit me that maybe this dog is trying to teach me something. Of course, it could also just be that he likes to eat stuff. But interestingly, I think it's very strategic that he was removing only the wise men from the nativity scene. And so, this whole thing, actually surprisingly maybe, has some theological grounding that we're going to be exploring together today in another familiar Christmas story. But before you never look at your own nativity set the same way again, let's pray together as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for knitting us together as your body. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus the gift of all gifts, Lord, even though you came to us in a most unexpected way, we're so thankful, Lord, because we know that without you, we are hopelessly lost. And so we thank you that you didn't leave us orphaned. You don't leave us to fend for ourselves. Instead, Lord, you promised to be with us and you can't be any more present than by the power of your spirit. That's that's who we call upon right now in these moments to pierce our hearts and to reveal truth to us about who you are and who we are in you. That right now in in this time that we share together, we will will be transformed from, from dead to new life. That we might leave and go forth changed forever in light of the promise of Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith in whose name we pray. Amen. As we continue in the Christmas journey together, we've, we've just celebrated the birth of Jesus the Messiah in Bethlehem. And now remember, Mary and Joseph had gone to Bethlehem from Nazareth to register for the census that had been ordered by the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. And apparently, they liked it so much that they decided to stay a while. They stayed a while before they headed back to Nazareth. And while we don't know exactly how long they stayed in Bethlehem after Jesus' birth, we do know that it was for at least a year and maybe up to two years. And it was during their extended stay in Bethlehem that they were visited by some most unexpected folks. And now we often might call them the three wise men. And there's even a lovely song that goes along with this, you know, We Three Kings. But we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Matthew, specifically at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, where all of this is recorded And we're going to see if we can't get a little bit better idea, a better understanding of just who these guys most likely were and who they weren't and how significant that all is and how truly important it is, not just at that point, but for us still today. So we're going to take a look at that by reading Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 first. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. So, like I said, this this all took place a significant amount of time after Jesus was born. And most people think that it was up to two years after, and we'll, we'll get into more about that a little bit later. But at the time of this special visit, the family was no longer living with the livestock. They were living in a house now. And so you'll notice also that the text never says how many there are that came to visit. And we know it was more than one because the world, the, the word that is used here is plural. But we don't know if that means there are two or ten or, or, or more. We just don't know. We don't know how many wise men there were. And furthermore, the phrase wise men is sort of a really generous translation of the Greek word that's used here that the NIV uh, translates as magi because it really means something more like sorcerer or or wizard or astrologer, maybe even fortune teller. In other words, these folks are definitely not Jewish. They were Gentiles, so not Jewish, and they, they therefore had very different spiritual practices and beliefs than the Jewish people. And the text also says nothing about them being kings of any kind. Even if your nativity set has these wise men with crowns on their head, Uh, really maybe the song should be more like we three kings of orient aren't because they're not kings we don't know if there were three and we actually don't know where they came from we don't know if they came from the orient or not we just know they came from the east but i'm not telling you all this just to ruin your nativity set that's not the point it's fine you can leave it just the way it is But just know that the truth about this, I hope that when you look at it from now on, that you might know a deeper truth about what's really going on here. Because the truth is far more scandalous than we might realize. Take a look again at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, just think about this for a moment. Herod was the king of Israel. Now, he was a a political ally of Rome. He was a vassal king that had been installed by Rome, and and he was put there to kind of keep the Jewish brothers and sisters under control because disruption or, or even talk of or the threat of disruption of any kind of authority was of great concern to Rome, always was. But it was also a major concern for Herod himself. And now this Herod is Herod the Great. Lots of Herods in the Bible. But this is Herod the Great. And there's really not much great to say about him, ironically. Uh, he was known for being completely paranoid. About He was always wondering if people were trying to take power away from him. He was so paranoid that he even had members of his own family killed just because he became suspicious of their motives and how they might be trying to plot against him and then one day out of nowhere here comes this group of foreigners astrologers of all people who show up at the door after seeing this significant star in the sky and believing that well something important must be really happening over there so they showed up and they start knocking on the door to an already paranoid king of Israel this is Very disturbing once they start asking for directions to find and worship the real king, the king of the Jews. Talk about an awkward conversation. But also, this is not a coincidence either, because the fact that this miraculous star of wonder that we sing about in that song led them to Jerusalem and right to Herod's doorstep and and for them to be asking about this king that, that nobody even knows existed when they're asking for directions, this is all a direct challenge to the earthly rulers and and all of the power structures of the world. This is something totally different. This is something that has come from somewhere completely different. And so it's this surprise proclamation in a way, and it's, it's also a confession that somehow, even though nobody really understands it, somehow a new day has dawned And it has something to do with this long-promised, one-and-only, everlasting king who was somehow already on the throne, and, oh, by the way, it wasn't Herod the Great. And so, in in verse 3, when it says that that Herod is disturbed, that's really putting it pretty mildly. It's not just Herod that was disturbed, either. Remember, the text says that all of Jerusalem was disturbed along with him. And why... Why is that? Well, it's not necessarily for the same reason that power-hungry Herod was disturbed, but the Jewish people, they remember, they knew that there was a promised Messiah, a savior who was coming at some point. And now, it seems pretty strange that these outsiders show up and they're they're talking about things that these Jewish folks are supposed to know everything about, and yet these foreigners, these astrologers, these Gentiles seem to be more in the know, so to speak, than they are. So of course they're disturbed, because this is all a very strange situation. And this kind of collision, this kind of collision between old and new, and all these all these things uh, that collide, this happens all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Because over and over again we see uh, the incompatibility between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. One is temporary, the other is eternal. One is full of darkness and the other is full of light. One is ruled by human power and the other is by godly power. It's a battle between King Herod and the real king of the Jews, Jesus. And ultimately, it's a contrast between people who believe in Jesus and people who follow him and people who worship him and people who reject him. And of all people, these outsiders seem to have the inside track on all of it. Now that in and of itself is very significant. Not just for them, but for us as well, because it, it confirms it confirmed something really important for us. It confirms what the angel said to the shepherds out in the field when announcing Jesus' birth and and singing about the glory to God in the highest because the angel had told the shepherds, this good news is for all the people. And with these magi here, we have the first sign and the foretaste of the fact that God actually means exactly what he said. He did, in fact, come for all people, even people like these wise men, astrologers, sorcerers. This is amazing, and this is good news. But it wasn't really good news for Herod, because instead of celebrating, Herod goes into panic mode And he calls up all the so-called religious experts that he can find the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he starts asking all these questions about the Messiah because Herod didn't know all that much about it. He married into a Jewish family who was tied in with the religious establishment. So he had the, the experts on standby. So he gets them all together and he starts asking questions like, all right, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Well, the experts point to the prophet Micah. They tell him, hey, we we know about this. And specifically in our Bibles, we can find it in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That's the answer that they give. They quote this scripture and they say, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And then it goes on to say that this particular ruler is his origins are from old, from ancient times. And so we see how this now starts to line up with the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and who he is. This this prophecy that is quoted here by the religious experts are telling Herod that there's more to the story going on here. And Herod, in response, I just think it's interesting, He he has a great idea, so he thinks. He says, well, okay then why not just have the magi who, who seem to you know, kind of be uh, the ones who have a leg up in all of this anyway? Why not just let them go and do the hard work of finding this so-called king of the Jews? And then Herod's you know, thinking, well, then I can just show up and eliminate the problem once and for all, right? I mean, Herod disguises it all nice and everything. And look what he says in verse 8. He says, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But of course, we all know that's not what he intended. He wasn't about to stand by and allow for even the possibility of him losing his grip on the power or his throne. So much so that later in chapter 2, he goes completely nuts and starts killing children. But That's a different sermon. But in the short term, the Magi picked up and they moved out and they headed toward Bethlehem, With this, again, this miraculous star guiding them once again to where they needed to go. And the star led them all the way to the house where Mary and Joseph were living. And and they found exactly who they were looking for. Jesus. They were looking for Jesus and they found him. the, The king of the Jews, yes, but also the king of all kings. And somehow they knew that, unexpectedly, amazingly, that this Jesus was their king as well. And their response was that they, they bow down and worship him. They bowed down and they worshiped him. They, they gave him uh, treasured gifts, very valuable things, gold, frankincense, myrrh. All of these things were very extravagant, elegant, uh, expensive. Uh, and they do this, they give this as an act of worship in order to honor and to praise this king. And meanwhile, Herod... Again, this particular Herod, Herod the Great, never did find Jesus. Never did find Jesus. But there there was another Herod out on the horizon about 30, 40 years from then. That Herod would finally be the one to do what this Herod didn't do. And that was find and be part of the plot to kill Jesus, to put Jesus to death. There are three realities that I want to focus on that are, I think, revealed in this this most unusual journey that these these guys were on. and, And maybe they were women as well. It doesn't even specify that. But this unusual journey that they were on to find Jesus, I think, reveals three things. And the first one is that God shows up wherever and whenever and to whomever he desires. He shows up to whoever he wants. And And that is something we would do well to remember because think of how much time and effort and energy that the church in history has spent trying to figure out who the real Christians are, who the real believers are. Matter of fact the entire reason that things like, uh, you know, church denominations exist is because people always seem to be trying to figure out, well, who who are the insiders and who are the outsiders? People want to know, am I in the club or am I out of the club? But, but the text here (laughs) rejects all of that because for one thing, every other time, this, this word, this translated as magi. Uh, the Greek word is uh, uh, magoi. Uh, every other time it's used in scripture like this, it's with a negative connotation. And it might not really surprise you why that is, because the term itself, magi, sounds a lot like magic, right? And so uh, this, this reference in the Bible to magic and, and sorcery and astrology and all that kind of thing was all a very big no-no when it came to what the God of Israel had to say about all of that. But here we have these astrologers, these fortune tellers, that for some reason these magi show up who were the most unlikely folks to be visiting, and they not only found Jesus by mistake, they, they were led by God, not just to find Jesus, but to know the truth about exactly who he is. This is nothing short of astonishing. And I think it really proves and drives home that in Christ, absolutely no one is beyond God's reach. God will find his way to anyone, especially to those who are looking for him. These guys were looking for him. And it furthermore shows us that part of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, part of what happens in this great collision, this this incompatibility between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, is that the kingdom of heaven breaks in and breaks down the very barriers that keep people separated from one another. It brings people together in Christ. But even beyond that, one of the reasons that uh, these magi have Uh, traditionally been called wise men is because they were also considered to be some of the wisest people around that they knew how to read the stars they they knew something about astronomy and and they could interpret uh, dreams and so they must have known something about psychology and so all of this led people to think that, well, these particular folks have a more sophisticated scientific knowledge. They're, they're more experts. They know more. They're very intelligent. And yet, here they are, bowing down and worshiping this little child that they're calling king. Which I think reveals the second reality I want to talk about today, which is the wisdom of this world is insufficient. The wisdom of this world is insufficient. No matter how smart these magi were, and no matter what they thought they knew about the way the world works, it was incomplete. It was insufficient. And we might be tempted to kind of look back and say, well, I mean, yeah, uh, they really had some uh, goofy ideas, didn't they? And thankfully, you know, (laughs) we're just uh, so much smarter than they are. But are we? Are we? Is that really a fair criticism to make? Because I know we think we're really smart these days. I know we think we've got it figured out. But 30 or 40 years from now, people are going to look back on what we think we know and they're going to say the same kinds of things. Wow, these people really didn't have a clue, did they? Because I think it's with every generation that uh, each one thinks that it will be the generation that gets it all figured out, right? And yet, we keep learning but forgetting quickly that there's always so much more that we don't even know that we don't know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about this exact thing. Starting in verse 19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of god the world through its wisdom did not know him god was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe and so the point is that in this world we we have a lot of choices in terms of where we look for wisdom where we put our hope where we put our trust and what paul is saying here is that even the good things that you find along the way will ultimately frustrate you in the end because they will prove always to be insufficient. And there is a limit to what our worldly wisdom can accomplish and and, and how far we can push. And much of all that is well and good, by the way. There are great improvements. There are lots of good things that come out of the wisdom of the world and the things that we can know. But in the end, it takes something out of this world to do for us what the world and all of its wisdom simply never can. We need a Savior. And that Savior, who is Jesus, who is who is God in the flesh, who eventually was crucified, died, and was buried, didn't stay dead. He was raised again on the third day to new life, and it's this Jesus. It's, it's this Jesus who is the one who destroys the wisdom of the wise, And he does it in order to save us from ourselves. And so we can look all we want for answers in this world, but any and every other answer other than Jesus will eventually prove to be insufficient. Not that that really stops us from running after false hopes and dreams, does it? And that really touches on the third reality I I want to take. This is the last one we're going to look at today. And that's that God will not force you to follow him. God will not force you to follow him. And I, I think one of the most interesting parts of this whole account, I kind of talked about it a little bit before, but when Herod gets the religious experts involved and they, and they talk about this whole Messiah thing, these are the people that are supposed to know all about that. They're supposed to be the ones that are in the know. And, and so they, they gather together and they weigh in on the prophecies and they even manage to get the location correct. But then, instead of going with the Magi to find the Messiah, this one that had been promised for all this time, they sit it out. They decide, eh, let them go. Herod sends the Magi off, gives them some instructions. Hey, let me know what you find out and report back to me. But that's it. It doesn't say that the religious leaders or the chief priests or the teachers of the law doesn't say they went with them. They just went on their own. Doesn't it surprise you that that none of these experts, none of these religious people went with them? That really surprises me. And doesn't it seem at least a little bit strange that those who were God's chosen people, the ones who had been looking for this promised Messiah all this time, the the ones who were the custodians of the very scriptures that had predicted all of this, they didn't feel compelled enough to go and check it out for themselves? Again, we're talking about this most unlikely group of seekers, the magi, who are searching for someone that should really be more important to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are fine just, you know, giving directions and sending them on their way. And just like God promises that when we look for him, we will find him. That's what they experienced as well. They were looking for the king. And they found him. God led them to the king but not only that they didn't just find him they bowed down and worshiped him they worshiped him as king they glorified and they honored him with their gifts and they did this all while the religious folks sat at home waiting to hear the report waiting to hear what they found doesn't that feel like sometimes the way we exercise our faith or don't is we are the people that know who Jesus is or should be looking to find him and should be going deeper and experiencing a a greater relationship with him and living in light of that faith? And how many times do we choose to sit it out? How many times do we point other people in the direction and say, let me know how it turns out? But that's not the way Jesus leads us. Jesus says, come and see with me, not go over there and you'll figure it out. And so even though God comes to us and, and chooses us in Jesus Christ, he's not going to force us to follow him. We still have this invitation, and how we respond to that is really up to us. And so today, as you, as you consider and maybe even wrestle with this truth that Jesus has come, not just for all people in general, but, but come for you in particular, you and me, what will it take... For you to have the same kind of response to him as these magi had, these outsiders, these foreigners, the people that weren't supposed to know about him, what will it take for us to have that same kind of response? What will it take for you to bow down and worship him? Because the magi were full of the wisdom of the world. They thought they had it figured out, but they knew that they were missing something, and they knew that whatever that missing thing was was completed in this king that they found. This king that God led them to. Not to mention, they also poured out riches and they gave of themselves so that they could show honor and glory to the king. So to have these kinds of treasures, they they must have been doing all right for themselves, but they didn't have enough confidence that all, uh, all of it was more than enough. They knew that in the end, it would all come up short. It would all be somehow insufficient. And they found that things were completed in this person of Jesus. And I believe that by the power of his Holy Spirit that God right now can and will reveal to each of us what, whatever it is in this world that we are pursuing and counting on and trusting in other than Jesus. I believe he will show us if we just ask. I believe he will search our heart and reveal to us the ways in which all of those things we think we can count on are all insufficient. They will all eventually fail. And so whatever that might be for you today, whatever you might be struggling with, whatever you might be treasuring other than God revealed in Jesus Christ, are you willing to lay that down today? Are you willing to put that down and worship Him? Even though that means, you know, we we can't put those things physically at the feet of Jesus like the Magi did, we can still put it at the foot of the cross, the foot of the cross in Christ, and that's Paul really helps us. Uh, Understand this. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, in verse 22, by saying, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom. And so the good news today right now for us is that not only did Jesus come for you and for me, he died for you and he took your sins upon him so that he could separate you not only from the penalty of, of sin and the condemnation that goes along with sin, but to raise you in his resurrection to new life. That's amazing. Are you willing to bow down and worship this king? He's not just the wisest of all. He's our Savior. He is Jesus. Amen.